Amen. Good morning. Colossians chapter 3, I think. 1, sorry. <laughs> Big difference. Colossians chapter 1. Um, my hope this morning is that from the Resurrection Sunday until last week, uh, you remember the hope that we talked about. The hope in what Christ has done, what we just sang. The hope that he is giving you in Jesus Christ, that there is no other name whereby you must be saved. The hope of not just eternal life, but what that hope does for you here now in this moment in the life that he's given you to live out today, tomorrow, Lord willing, and so on. Um, and to remember that. And I just want to preface that only because of where we're going is just going to be a little harder. And so it's easy to get a little discouraged uh, possibly. So just remember the hope that Christ has given each one of you um, in Christ, uh, the means of which you can do life. And so um, I just want to, while you're there, just I want to go back to our Psalms this morning. Um, do you want to know why that's possible? How it's, very, how it's possible, may his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun, may people, that's you, me, he's referring to the nations, all nations call him blessed. There's a reason why that's possible. There's a reason why it's meant to happen. Blessed be the Lord of God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. There's a reason that is possible. There's a reason that you can understand that. And I want to try to get to that today as we look at Colossians, uh, why that is possible and the difference that it makes in our life. So Colossians chapter 1 um, and I'll just, again, just trying to run through my uh, preface of all this to try to set all this up and where we're going. Um, I just titled the sermon, Moses or Marx, Christ or Chaos. And where we're drifting off to is what's happening in our culture and to try to get some specifics about how we then live as Christian people here and now and, and what we're dealing with and, and the questions that are being asked, the things that are happening um, and, and why they're happening. And so the, this morning's message is really to set all that up um, and really just get some categories and, and why things are the way they are. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, says this. He is, uh, sorry, he has delivered us from the domain of, of darkness, transferred us to his kingdom, his beloved, to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. He, referring to Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head, the body, the church, the be- he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Father, thank you again. For your word, God, I pray um, I can be clear this morning um, that your word would permeate our lives, that we would see 
and understand what's taking place in the world and what you're doing in it as best as we can through your word. Um, God, help us to live this out faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. What you're seeing presently is this massive clash of worldviews in our society currently. It's been going on for quite some time, but it's been unfolding faster and faster until it's found a you know, a way out, I guess, and a voice in what you're seeing. The self-evident truths that this nation was founded on are being replaced with different set of truths, ones that are not self-evident but must be imposed on a nation. The Bible says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. What we read in the Psalms this morning. That's not only true of governmental systems, but it's also true for you as an individual. And by extension, your family, community, society, making this application multi-layered. And so, I'll just say this because it gets me in trouble and I don't mind. But many a Christian believes this is a political solution of what you're facing. This is not a political solution. It's a spiritual solution that has to happen if you want to see this nation revived. That solution only comes from Jesus Christ. Yes, you have to vote. I get that. But it's not a political problem. And getting the right people in place is not the problem. It's what they believe, what they're standing on. And our application of that is currently revolving around what you believe and why you believe it and how you believe it. And I just want to share what that is. So that's the title, Moses or Marx, Christ or Chaos. You can see this from our text if you go back up to verse chapter 10, or verse 1 chapter, uh, yeah, I can't even talk. Verse 1, sorry, verse, chapter 1, verse 10, I'll get it eventually. Ah, good, I'm glad somebody does. Verse 10, for you as a Christian, Paul is admonishing you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. There is this manner of walking, thinking, breathing, how you respond to things, Paul says that you and I are walking in a manner worthy. Uh, You were once in darkness and you walked a certain way. Now you have been brought over. You have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. He's the one who has brought you into his kingdom. And now you walk a different way. And that's really the deal. That's really the issue. You now bear fruit that pleases him, growing in the knowledge of who he is, how you think, how you live, what you believe, what reality is. It's a clear standard whereby every believer is apply this to their lives in the context of where God has placed you presently. Um, and wherever that is, if you're single, if you're married, if you have a job, all of those places where you live, work, and play, as a man, as a woman, as a child, single, and so on, married, that's the context that you and I live, and that's where this shows up. How is that possible? Look at verse 13. This is how this is possible. This is how we are to, to live this out presently. Christ has FedExed you. It says he's delivered you. you. You and I were all in darkness, and he has taken you, delivered you from darkness into light or into his marvelous kingdom, if you will. And therein lies the clash. We're, we're talking about his worldviews, and we are being told by the God-haters of our day, that you want to take away my freedom, meaning I get to do whatever I want, how I want. In fact, you want to establish a theocracy, or you're going to hear the term more and more, 
Christian nationalism. You're going to hear that too. We'll explore that too. You want to impose, in essence, a Christian version, if you will, of Sharia law. Just the Christian version of that. That's what you want. That is not what we want as a Christian. However, what is conveniently missing is that liberty of conscience, liberty of religion, freedom of speech, and all those things that we hold so dear come from Christianity. They are distinct Christian inventions of living out the gospel, of understanding the gospel. So please don't tell me we are taking them away when we are the ones who gave them to you as a, as a nation, as a culture. See, the threat to freedom and liberty and what's going on and what's being promoted is a threat to the road to tyranny and the lack of freedom. Galatians 5.13 says this, You were called to you, Christian, you, follower of Christ. You have been ported over from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And therein lies the division and the problem of worldviews. Because there are only two. There is only light and darkness, truth and error, holy God or sinful man. It is about theology, not politics. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, if you read that, the writer talks about we are to grow up in Christ. And he says, you know, milk is for, for babies and you, you need to be eating solid food for mature people. You don't want to be spiritual babies, do you? Of course not. That's not what we're after. We're mature people. What does that look like? A worldview, let me just define that as a, really just a base of assumptions that you do life with, that you make sense of reality, how you know it's real. They function like a pair of glasses, depending on the prescription that you put on, the, depending on how you see them. Everything is filtered through that process in your mind. And, and honestly, we do this just like this. We don't even think about it hardly anymore. Our presuppositions about what is right, what is good, all of those things happen so quickly. And I just want to slow down a little bit. Like rose-colored glasses, whatever your color of the glasses, that's what you're going to see. The worldview you have colors everything and how you determine. It also can be like a you know, GPS, like on your phone. It orients you to find a particular destination. You have a certain orientation. I've heard it expressed like a puzzle as well. You know, not the little, not like my grandkids, they have like eight pieces, but like, you know, a couple thousand pieces of puzzles. When you get, it, it, when you, especially in the wintertime, I, you know, kind of fuss around with a puzzle every now and then just because winter is, <laughs> um, and I don't ski anymore because it hurts and do all those things that used to, it just hurts. <laughs> when you get the puzzle, right, what's the thing you don't do? You don't throw away the box, right? Especially when it's a couple thousand you know, little itty-bitty pieces. Why? Because you need some way to orient when you're looking at those to look at the box, to orient, to, to, to have an idea where this goes. That's the idea of worldview. How a life is supposed to be. Your worldview tells the story of the world as you see it. And everyone has one. Please hear this. No one you're ever going to meet is neutral. 
and that's the that's the that's what's trying that's kind of the the idea today especially in government circles is hey we're all just going to you know get around this playing field and the, the playing field's neutral and and the government and everybody else the arbiters are going to decide what's right what's that's not there's no neutrality everybody has a worldview and everyone works from that basic idea that has a story or standard to work through there are typically five areas of this. These are basic foundational things that your worldview will tell you, right? Here they are. Your view of God. Or there isn't. Again, the view of a higher authority or the lack thereof, atheist, whatever. There isn't a God, there is a God. That's, that's what your view is telling you. Your worldview will tell you if there is what he's like, what he does, and so on. It'll also tell you your view of humanity, It'll tell you what truth is, and it'll tell you where knowledge comes from and the morality that you gain from that, what's right and wrong. In general, that's what those glasses you have on will dictate to you. Let me give it a real-life example that happened just a few, not that long ago. If you remember the, the shooting that happened at the Christian school in Tennessee, this is, a, you know, I thought, a good example of how worldview colors what you see. The MSNBC headline after that event, a tragic event, an evil event, transgenders are under siege in America. That was their headline. That's military talk, by the way, which I'll get to in a second. But do you see the difference? that's the view that you're looking through to make sense of what's going on or, or to, to decide what's happening. So four basic questions that every worldview will answer is this. Who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world and how do I make it right? Those are four basic questions and everybody's asking them. Parents, if you have junior, senior, high kids home, they're asking this out, especially in junior high. I've learned this over the years growing up doing student ministry. They start to question uh, things in junior high and, and is what mom and dad, this whole thing about God, faith, they're processing this. They will do it again by the time they're a junior or senior and then you'll wonder why if they've processed that and haven't communicated that while you know, faith in God once they hit college or whatever isn't, isn't a thing for them anymore. Because they've already processed it long before it showed up in their life. You have to have these conversations with them. Let me just run through a few of these real quick to give you an example. The contrast of worldviews. The first one is, is really the, the foundation of where we are and, and why we are as a culture. Secular humanism. This is the foundation to all of these. But when I ask the questions, who am I as a secular humanist? I'm just a random part of the evolutionary process. That's who I am. Right? If you're a Star Wars, or a Star Wars, sorry. Sorry for all you Star Trek fans. <laughs> Ugly bags of mostly water. That, that's where that came from. One of the, uh, Star Trek episodes, Next Generation, right? That's what you are, and you're nothing more. And there is no purpose to anything that, just, this is just it. It just randomly happens, it evolves, there's no good, there's no bad, there's none of that. Why am I here? I'm here to consume. I'm here to enjoy life as, again, I'm defining that, to fill my life up with myself and anything that benefits me. That's why I'm here. That's my sole purpose. There's a term for that. It's called hedonism. That's my life. That's what I'm going to pursue. 
What's wrong with the world? What's wrong is that we are insufficiently educated or governed or both because man is innately good, not evil. I'm not the issue. In other words, everyone else is or everything is that's against me that would say that's right or that's wrong. We just need more education or just more government to control to bend it to whomever society wants or how they want it to work out. That's how you fix it. We just need more education and more government. Right? Doesn't that excite you? (laughs) The problem with that is that's been tried endlessly, hence Moses or Marx, if you get the inference to my title of my message here. But it has nuances. That foundation of everything that that throws God away, that there is no God, has nuances. And I'll just give you another one here. Um, Neo-Marxism, new Marx, this view. And we hear it now in, in critical race theory or this idea of oppressor and oppressed. That's what we're hearing today. So who am I in that worldview? I'm an intersectional representation of the various groups or categories that I identify with. <laughs> right? And that's how you know. See, there is no commonality or idea of character. You're no longer defined by the content of your character. That should resonate, hopefully, with some of you. That's been gone away from and done away with. But judgment comes as good or bad based on which group you identify with. If you're the oppressor group and the oppressor group likes you, no matter what you say, it's evil and wrong. It doesn't matter. Because you're in the wrong group. You're advancing, in my case, a white, toxic, male, able-bodied, hard-working, honor to duty, and God, clinging to my guns and religion, all the way down to the, you know, what Christianity says. That's, that's the identity that, that I have. And no matter what I say, I'm blinded because I'm wearing the wrong set of glasses. Why am I here under this worldview? I'm here to participate in the power struggle, either as one who is oppressed to overthrow the oppressors or as an oppressor to make sure my group dominates forever and always. That's life. You're either in one of those two categories, which always to me begs the question, what happens when your group becomes the oppressor? (laughs) You work so hard to get there, now what? It's like the song that never ends, right? Have you remember that song? That goes on and on, my friend. Now that's stuck in your head, you're welcome. <laughs> right? But it never ends. And it never ends for a reason. And it's always done, this process. It's always done by whatever measure is necessary for those oppressed to get out from their oppression. And it's always done by force. And it's justifiable. What's wrong with the world? All the oppressors, those groups that are you know, in power, we don't like. How right and wrong are delivered, what is moral and good, what is evil, are defined by disparities now. But we always have to ask the question. What's the question we always ask constantly here? By what standard? Everybody has one. Remember, nobody's neutral. It's the disparities that we, the oppressed group, don't like. Which is extremely convenient, don't you think? I'll give you a few examples. If the disparities don't fit our story, we just kind of avoid them. But if they do, we'll we'll, we'll push those all we can. 
the disparities of the black community being far outweighing in, in the prison system as opposed to white people. But the disparity of that same idea in professional sports, we won't speak to that one. There's nothing to see. How about women in careers? More women are attending university than men at this point. We won't push that one. We won't talk about that. There's not as many women digging ditches or on the garbage routes as there are men. You see where this goes? And all it does is just cause all this tension and conflict and this animus towards one another. There's no unity in it ever at all. How do you make it right? According to this worldview, the oppressor has to be forced by whatever means possible to relinquish power to those who are being oppressed. By whatever means possible. And you're seeing that in our culture. And when that culminates, when that finally happens, guess what happens? The heavens part. They gush forth with unicorns, rainbows, and gumdrops. And everybody's happy. Especially the red and the orange ones. No, it's not, it never gets there. And when it doesn't get there, we're told, oh, it's never been done right. That's been the criticism of Marxism and all that. It's never, no one's ever done it the way it's supposed to be done, therefore it doesn't work. And it's just this perpetual just insanity that takes place. By the way, parents, if you have junior, senior high kids, I would encourage you on your summer reading list, I don't do this too often, Animal Farm. Those of you that read it might want to read it again. But if you've not read Animal Farm, George Orwell, I mean, just read it. <laughs> read it together. Sorry, sidelight. Okay. How does the Bible answer these questions? How does the Bible answer this worldview? How do you get to where the nations are blessed? How do you get Psalm 72 lived out in a people? If you're complaining about, oh, we've got to vote the right people in, well, how are they going to do that? Guess what? For the 18th and 19th century, guess what was the reader in, in class to teach kids how to read? This right here. When this is embedded in people's lives, now you have someone to vote for. This is what gets me in trouble. It doesn't matter to me, Democrat or Republican. I don't care what you vote for. Because if they don't have the worldview present to relieve what's happening, it doesn't matter. I've heard this my entire life. 50 plus years now. It sounds better than almost 60. <laughs> right? And look where we are. Why? Because they're playing from a different sheet of music. They're looking through the, the world at a different set of glasses. Again, please don't... I get, this is where I get in trouble. We have the privilege still in this nation, as grand and glorious as it has been because of God's blessing, because that men and women studied this for two centuries before we became a nation to vote, to still have a voice, right? And we are now living on the fumes, and I would argue the fumes are gone of what that blessing was, and we are moving in a different direction today. So yes, it is important. It is important that we have a class, biblical citizenship. You all should go through the class. It is a powerful understanding of what this has dictated, if you are, where these things came from that we have been blessed with for so long. How Psalm 72 showed up in a nation. This one. It is a grand and glorious thing. 
So how does God answer these questions? Who am I? Verse 15, back in Colossians, if you will. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Nothing in all creation is like you. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. How does that happen? Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There is nothing anywhere in creation like you. You and I, human beings as we define them, are made in the image of God and Jesus Christ being the firstborn. If you don't think that matters, if you don't understand what's the big deal, here's why that's a big deal. How would you answer this question? Johnny, stop bullying Susie. Johnny's like, why? He or she has something he wants. Something as simple as that, you play it through those worldviews. In my secular humanist worldview, who cares? I don't care how she feels, thinks, or wants. I'll take whatever I am because I'm bigger, stronger, faster, all that. That's where that gets played out. The only benefit she has is whatever benefit she's benefiting me. Oh, that's not right. See where this goes, how quickly? By what? What standard? This is the standard. That's not right. Why? We need order. We need discipline in society. We need discipline in the classroom. Why? So you're presupposing this worldview. You're basing that on this worldview. My objective is, when you have these gospel conversations, is you need to kick people off of this worldview and let them hang on to their own, which means they're floating out here in space because there's nothing there. If you're a secular humanist and living that worldview, there is no rationale. It's just pitiless indifference. There's no purpose to anything. But we need to learn things and stuff to be better humans. Better for what and why? To what end? If you're weak, if you're sickly, if you're ignorant, then maybe you shouldn't thrive according to that worldview. It's not that far a leap. If you don't fit into the right group, you don't matter. In fact, what we'll do is we'll make you so less that we get to a place where we can just without any conscience at all, dispose of you. Happened all through history. Let me ask you this. This is, I hesitate to say this, but I'll push the point even farther. Why do we, as human beings, decide to nurture our babies and not eat them? Johnny, don't bully Susie. Why? Why? Because she's like you. She's made in God's image. She has value. Because God made her. Men valuing women as the weaker vessel, Scripture says, is to God's glory. There's value. You protect. You esteem women. This is a hill to die on, by the way. What about slavery? Why is it wrong in a a secularistic worldview? Why? Why? shouldn't be if you're a slave there's something wrong with you you're not you haven't you haven't evolved in such a way to where you can dominate and and be something other than what you are and that was darwin's argument 
And when you get into some of these historical gospel conversations, you may have someone throw it to you, yeah, but you Christians you know, aren't consistent either. Oh, you're absolutely right. No doubt about that. Church history is full of rotten things. And they may point out specifically the Spanish Inquisition. That's been one of those that comes up in my conversations a lot because that's an easy one to go to. It's probably one of the most horrific ones as far as you know, Protestants and Catholics and Christians and all of those things happening. And depending on who you talk to, that lasted, you know, 100 to 200 years. And as best as we can ascertain numbers as far as how many people actually suffered and died, 30 to 35,000 thereabouts, which is awful. That's about 160 somewheres in there a year. But I can point to someone who has a humanistic worldview, such as, oh, I don't know, Stalin, and less than 10 years, again, depending on history and numbers you perceive, 6 million to 20 million people. And that's your worldview? You're coming at me with that? Really? Listen, Romans 6, Paul talks about you are either going to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness and what is good. It's the standard that you'll be measured at. Why are you here in God's worldview? Verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and what? For him. Why are you here? For no other reason than this. Please listen. No other reason than this. To bring God glory and honor to the one who's created me. That's it. That's why you're here. Because you're not God. You are far lesser. I am far lesser than God. We were made to serve him in the way he made us, either as a man or a woman. And let me ask you this question. Why did God make us that way? Why did God make men and women, according to, according to this worldview? Why? Not only flourish, but because it brings God's glory and it magnifies it. It's the, it's the means in which God is glorified the most. It maximizes his glory in the way that gets lived out. Let me contrast that with the, the secular worldview, a Marxist worldview. They see marriage as oppressive to women. Men oppressing women by way of marriage. So I have to ask, you know, or, or try to process that. Because again, there's no creation. We evolved. So I have to ask, when did that thought show up in the evolutionary process? Right? When did that show up? And I wonder what backroom Neanderthal cave meeting that came from. <laughs> that that's a better way to dominate women and oppress women. Because in that worldview, what was happening before? Men pillaging and plundering women, having their way with women, going from place to place, destroying cities, towns, cultures, whatever, taking what they wanted, and the women get stuck with the babies. And the guys are gone. And now all of a sudden, there's a new way to oppress women? So I have to just role play that in my head thinking. Some guy shows up in this cave and goes, hey, fellas, I have this great idea. Let's oppress women more. What if, what if we oppress them more by committing ourselves to just one and teaming up with them to have kids and raising them as kids together? Boy, that'll show them. 
right? We'll, we'll call it a family. What if we did that? That would be a great way to, I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? No sense whatsoever. And you and I know statistically, by any measure and any understanding of studies, secular studies included, that the best outcomes for children in a family is a mom and a dad home raising them together. That is the best outcome for all involved. Even though when I was a kid, I didn't think so. (laughs) Why? Why is that the best outcome? Because it glorifies God, because it's the way he made it. Because it's the best thing for humanity to glorify God. It's Psalm 72. You want the blessings of God to magnify, to be, to be the most, to be, as Philippians said, pressed down, shaken, together, overflowing. You're going to glorify God in your life. All of it. All of life for all of Christ. What's wrong with the world? How does... Our passage answer this, drop down to verse 20, 21. And you who were, I love this, who were what? Once, past tense, you were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. What's wrong with the world? You, and to a lesser degree, me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Right? You. It is you and me. That's what's wrong with humanity. We haven't lived up to the nature and character of God. See, you exist solely for God's glory, but you live in your own. And by the way, that's the definition of sin. That's what sin is. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's what that means. You've been created in His image. You've been created to glorify Him. And then through Adam, because we have this passed down to us, we are sinful people. Look, at, I try to explain this Wednesday night with the students. The thing that you do that is evil or bad, and you look at that, oh, that's sin. I'm all, I lied. That's sin. Yeah, I, that's just how sin shows up in your life. Do you understand? That's not the thing. It squirts out in each one of you. There's a, 200 people, however many people there are today. It squirts out in that many ways. Why? Because you were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. If sin is this underlying thing in your life, it just grows up and I'm a liar. It just grows up and I'm a fornicator. It just grows up and I'm an alcoholic. It just grows up in different ways. That's how it shows up in your life and mine. Does that make sense? That's what's wrong. What's wrong in the world is my sin and yours. We're sinners. We're evil. And yes, there is educational issues There's oppressive issues, but if we don't start, there's governmental issues, I get all that. Again, those are secondary, but if we don't understand this is where we start, we'll end up in a completely different destination. If we don't start with God's worldview and what that means, we will end up in completely different spots. Listen, you don't go into a school and, and shoot kids that happened in Tennessee because you didn't get a proper education or you weren't governed appropriately by some law and so just passing more laws to make people feel good about lawmakers feeling good about themselves guns or whatever or all those other things that's not going to fix it it never fixes it all it does is the loss of freedom there is real evil there is real sin in the world 
And all you have to do is just listen, or not that you read a newspaper anymore, but, but better yet, maybe we should just stand in front of a mirror and assess our own hearts. Maybe this is one of those conversations, those gospel conversations that if God is so good, why does he allow evil people to happen to good people? Why does that happen? Why does that happen? It happens. But that is a supremely arrogant question to ask. So don't, ask, don't answer that question. Work the conversation to ask the right question. Get them to ask the right question. Because in that question, what they've done is they put themselves, man, humanity, in the center of all the theology instead of God. See, here's the real question that you have to ask. If God is so good, and he is, if God is so powerful, if he is so just, righteous, and holy, then why didn't he kill me sometime last night because of the thoughts I had, the actions I did the day before? Why didn't he do that? That was his promise to Adam and Eve, wasn't it? The day you eat what? You will surely die. The reason that other question is arrogant is because it's a role reversal. You're putting God on trial. You're putting God in the dock. And you're asserting yourself as judge, jury. Romans 9, Isaiah 29, 16, Isaiah 45, 9 ask a really good question. And this is where I think Paul gets it from in Romans 9, 20. Who are you, O man, to question God? Who are you? Because if you're asking me to jettison what I believe, and, to, and if, this, if your worldview and your way of doing things is so much better and grander, then I should be worshiping you. I should be bending the knee to you, not God. Who are you? The underlying factor that we lose track of in our little window of life that is so small in that question is the understanding that God's not doing his job. He's lost somewhere in all the stuff. He, he doesn't know how to handle what's taking place. And you and I have this, this minute view of history and eternity and what's happening and how he is going to carry that out. And he points that out in the Old Testament. We'll get to that <laughs> next week. Abandoned by God. But take the speck out of your own eye. Then you can deal with the issues. That's really the issue. How is the world made right in God's worldview? Verse 19, 21. Somewhere's in here. For in him... The fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And again, you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body. What has he reconciled? Your sin. Christ died for sin. So this is where the hope shows up, I hope. Because <laughs> what we're dealing with, and now you're watching this, and there's this angst in your life, and you're frustrated and all those things, and you're looking for answers, the answer comes in Jesus Christ. 
the just for the unjust. We have gone astray. He has laid the iniquity on us. All, all of our iniquity has been laid on him. He's the one that was punished. I should be the one punished. I'm the one that should be dead. Only through Jesus Christ can your sin be atoned for, to be clothed in his righteousness. That's how the world is made right. And then again, another question. How can an intelligent person believe that? question being asked by an intelligent person who believes that everything exploded and here we are. That's what they're asking. And they're going to tell me I'm the one who's ignorant. See, all these man-centered worldviews have been tried. They've been retried. They're going to keep being retried until God does what? What is God doing? What is he doing on his throne? Until all of his enemies are what? At his feet. Now, I may not like the process I'm going through my parents being, you know, going through growing up before World War II and all those things and all the things that they saw in this nation. I don't necessarily like that. And, and I get this perspective of them and what they lived and how it worked and all that. But this has been long coming. And if you think God needs America for something special, he will use it. And when he's done, it will be done. Just like every other nation in history. Because he is doing something far greater And that hope only comes from Jesus Christ. All the issues we face, all the things that are happening currently, that's how you do and overcome them, through the gospel. Paul said, I know nothing and preach nothing except Christ and him crucified. Why is that the foundation? Because that's the foundation of a worldview. And when you get that, it transforms your life. You're no longer living in darkness acting like you are, behaving like a pagan, all those things change. Why is that so beneficial? So then you can have a good government, right? You can't get these things mixed around. One comes before the other. So we believe, we teach, we preach Christ and him crucified. We teach and believe that you as a human being, as a Christian, have value because God created it and you just put a period there. And he's calling you now that you have been called from darkness into light to walk worthy. A calling to bring him glory in your life. He has placed you and made you where you are and if he wants you moved, he will move you somewhere else. But you are where you are in life at this very moment, doing what you're, as a Christian, now only as a Christian, with the job, owner, employee, whatever, mom, dad, all of those places, he has placed you there to glorify him and all of those things. He created you to bring glory and honor to him. And what's wrong with the world is the world doesn't do that. See, it's all theology. It's all theology. You put you at the center of your theology by defining yourself, pleasing yourself, worshiping yourself, satisfying, gratify those good things that God has given me to do that I'm supposed to do them with in a particular area that God has given me. Marriage would be a good one. My sexuality. It's a closed system, right? I can enjoy my sexuality with my wife, none other. Anything else is in darkness. Anything else is hedonism, pagan, all that stuff. Oh, pastor, you're such a prude. <laughs> you're such a Puritan. You're such a whatever. I understand that I failed and sinned in all those areas. I get that. But you have been called now to live unique, differently and uniquely in Jesus Christ. And that's the battle. 
and even when I sin. Now I have an advocate, right? What do you think Jesus is doing at this very moment for all time? I mean, he's in his glorified body in the presence of the Lord, making atonement for you and for me. That's why it's so important to confess your sins, because he says he's faithful and just to forgive you. That's what he's doing. There is therefore no condemnation. But what don't you do? Paul says, you don't use this freedom and liberty and wrap yourself up in it so you can go sin like crazy. That's not it. You've been liberated from sin. That's what you've been liberated. Not to sin, and then God's just going to forgive me. That's not how it works. See, redemption is available in Jesus Christ, who is perfect. When we started back in um, Easter Sunday, the idea that nothing good is going to happen, or those types of things, we kind of drift to you, no one's perfect. That's a lie. Jesus Christ is perfect. And he's the Savior that you need. God is on track to create this great reversal and it's in progress, and you and I are in it, and God is destroying every enemy until he gets to the last one, death. If you want a good study, by comparison, compare Genesis 11, 1 through 11 and Revelation 7 through 21, and you will see the great reversal being lived out in Scripture. God is in creation, the Son is in redemption, and the church you and I are in are now the eternal kingdom. And I don't know, we don't know as believers whether this culture will repent and change for his glory, such as a time as William Wilberforce, if you're familiar with him, who for 40 years of his life, his political life, tried to outlaw slavery in Great Britain. And it worked out well. Or will it be like an unrepentant life in a collapsing culture, such as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood against Hitler and was hung by the Nazi regime. Both lived fearlessly, just like we saw Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. They did not have any control over the outcomes, but they lived fearlessly, proclaimed the gospel in this biblical worldview, and both realized the outcome would either result in God's glory. Won't matter which one. I prefer one over the other. (laughs) I believe you do too. But either one will glorify God. Do you believe that? Church, we have a grand task now to carry out, to stand up, to live out for the light that you and I are in, in the gospel. That is our charge. In the middle of the room, in other words, for Jesus' analogy, for all to see, we don't cover it up. We have a grand task. When you hear all the studies and think everything that's happening and how depressed people are, the suicide rate keeps going on, there is an opportunity for you and I as Christian people to stand up, say something, and step into those broken lives and bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they're all over here in this false worldview promising everything but doesn't deliver a thing except death and destruction. We are bound now to express all of life for all of Christ by living and believing a consistent worldview based on God's word and you bending to him. The choice seems to be clear to me. It will be Moses or Marx. It will be Christ or chaos. 
but no matter which way it goes, his people will be faithful. Father, thank you for the grace and mercy that you give us in Jesus Christ, that we have been delivered from our former lives into the life that you have destined for us as Christian people, that you have willfully taken upon yourself our sin, the world's sin, to redeem a people to yourself. And Father, you are now calling us to maturity in Christ, to no longer be babies, but to be mature in how we live and breathe and do life. Father, we are all in different places in our maturing. Some of us are brand new. Father, I pray no matter where we are, that you transform us day by day, that the fruit that you're doing in us and through us here will be magnified because we desire to see you glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.